Hey, I'm Ryan Mallory, and this is my Swing Trading the Stock Market podcast. I'm here to teach you how to trade in a complex, ever-changing world of finance. Learn what it means to trade profitably and consistently, managing risk, avoiding the pitfalls of trading, and most importantly, to let those winners run wild. You can succeed at the stock market, and I'm ready to show you how. Hey everybody, this is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trade in the Stock Market, and today's episode is going to be a good one. We're going to talk about pre-market profit-taking. Should we be taking profits in the pre-market? Should we be following stop losses in the pre-market? We're going to get to all of that in this episode. It's going to be a pretty interesting one because I think this is a topic that we haven't really touched upon much in the past, and we're like 260-something episodes into this long-running podcast, right? So for this email, we're going to call this guy Bert. Bert writes, member of SharePointer here. I was following your QID trade the other day. I got at the trigger price yesterday and the pre-market this morning. It was way up due to the inflation report. So if you guys remember, CPI report came out. It was like 9.1%. The stock market tanked afterwards, or at least in the pre-market and early going of trading. And if you had a stock like QID, or actually it's an ETF, you have an ETF like QID, you're doing pretty good on that trade, right? And that's what we were in in the trading block. He says, I thought about taking some profits in the pre-market, but I didn't follow through. I waited until the markets opened and it didn't do so well. I closed one third of my position for a small profit, then rode the rest out. Still holding that two thirds position now with a tight stop loss to see what happens tomorrow. Anyways, to my main question, is there a reason you don't trade in the pre-market? Obviously, this scenario is unique and I obviously should have taken some profits around 8.40 this morning. I'm just wondering if there is a reason you don't do it in general. Sincerely, Bert. Now, one of the things that I like about the emails is that a lot of times there's comments that are made that aren't necessarily what is wanting to be addressed in the email for a podcast episode, but they make for some of the best content as it pertains to the episode as a whole. So there's a couple of things here that stands out to me that goes beyond the question that he's asking that I want to address. And before I do that, what am I drinking? Well, I picked up this fancy bottle of Knob Creek 15 year. It's been aged 15 years. It's Kentucky straight bourbon. Usually Knob Creek in the past is just something that I would buy. I would buy the nine year. I'd buy a big handle of it back in the day when you could get it for like $50. Now it's like $70. So I use Evan Williams instead. That's like a $28 handle. It's a lot cheaper. And it pretty much gives the same effect when you're trying to make a good old fashioned. So I haven't used the Knob Creek nine year for my old fashions in quite some time. Still good. It's just gotten a little bit more pricier than what I want to spend on a old fashioned. So this one here I came across, it's been aged 15 years. So for those who don't know, the longer you age a bourbon, the less bourbon there is in the barrel. So when you age it for 15 years, as opposed to four years or five years, there's a lot less left in the barrel because it just evaporates. So this is a limited edition Knob Creek 15 year. It's a hundred proof. I love those hundred proof bourbons and that makes it 50% alcohol color on. It's really beautiful. I mean, it looks pretty good. Typically my experiences with Knob Creek has been that it comes in extremely hot, extremely spicy. So that's kind of one of the things that I'm looking for here to the smell. It smells like a, like a freaking strawberry pop tart. I love that smell. It takes me back to my childhood eating Pop-Tarts for breakfast. Not every day, but, you know, sometimes you had to eat the Pop-Tarts. To the taste, nice little caramel and vanilla. It's like a soft-serve ice cream cone that you would get at Costco's where they drizzle on that little caramel topping to it. Really nice. Very nice, actually. To the finish, man, 
you do experience the taste for a little bit longer than I expected, but that spice still comes in pretty hot, but it doesn't follow you down to the pits of your stomach where it just burns you alive inside. It just stays in the mouth. That's kind of a nice feel. Not a bad bourbon at all. A lot better than I was expecting it to be. I'm giving it an 8-1. It's really high, but I mean, 15 years. I can't remember what I actually paid for this thing. I want to say it was like $70, maybe $70, $80. I don't know. It's more than I would typically pay, but it was such a rarity, and uh, I really wanted to try the Knob Creek 15-year. I showed out a little extra coinage there for this one. But 8.1, it's really good, and I'm not giving it 8.1 because I spent money on it. God knows I spent some money on bourbons that were just absolute trash. I think Willet was one of them. You know, not the most recent Willet that I reviewed. That was actually a good one, but the standard Willet that looks like it comes in some kind of like a bong or whatever, that stuff is trash. But as it pertains to Knob Creek 15-year, this is good. I give it an 8.1. Everyday sipper, absolutely, if you can find it. And the price is a little bit more than what I would normally say would fall in the lines of an everyday sipper. Everyday sipper should be affordable. So maybe I don't put it in an everyday sipper. Maybe it's like a weekend sipper. I think that's probably more appropriate. So weekend sipper, 8.1. If you can find it, it's definitely worth adding to the collection. I think I actually got this one at Walmart, the Walmart liquor store. I don't know if they have those everywhere, but down here in Florida, they do have them. So it was it was pretty nice. I think I just got lucky on it, to be honest. Knob Creek, 15-year, 8.1. All right, so back to Bert and the QID trade. So to give you a little bit of background, <laughs> it's been like two or three weeks since I made a trade. Late June, hadn't made a trade. Finally on Tuesday, I make a trade late in the day on QID. Triggered up a little bit going into the close, maybe like 1%. And then in the pre-market, the CPI report comes out and the market just completely tanks. I was pretty happy. I was in QID as well, obviously. Market's down Two plus percent, maybe like two and a half percent. I don't remember the exact number, but my QID trade was up over 5%. So it was quite nice. I think it was even up at 6% at one point. And then the market opens. I got a full position. I'm wanting to see, okay, how does it digest? We got like a negative 1730 tick. I do remember that. And that was a very strong reading. Then you had some pretty strong breadth to the downside as well. Everything was working well initially, but that initially did not last very long because then for pretty much the rest of the morning, it just kept marching higher and higher and higher and higher. And then around the lunchtime, it just traded sideways for pretty much the rest of the day before it pulled back a little bit into the close. It was a frustrating day from that standpoint. So I take a third of QID for about like 3.3%. So I give up about 2% of profits. And then as it continues to rally higher, I'm like, I can't let this go from green to red. I had a stop loss in place already. It hits the stop loss. I get out on the final two thirds for like a 1% profit, essentially like 1.7% overall on the trade. So that was frustrating. I didn't like it at all. And what Bert's talking about is like, hey, look, it was up 5% in the pre-market, maybe even six, and I should have taken profits on it. And one of the things that I would say about that is that I think we look at what we could have done to maximize our profits and say, that's what we should have done. And that's not necessarily the right approach because when you start, Monday morning quarterbacking yourself. Yes, you could say what you should have done is to maximize the profits to the penny. But is it realistic? No, it's not. So in trading, you're trying to get, and I, you guys have heard me talk about this, especially if you've listened to me do this podcast for any length of time. I talk about getting the meat and the potatoes out of the trade. You're not going to get in at the bottom. You're not going to get out at the top. You want to get that middle section. And so for me, when I look back on the trade, do I feel like I mismanaged it? No, not at all. Could I have gone out in the pre-market for a bigger profit? Absolutely. But that's not part of my trading plan. That's not how I trade. I don't 
really focus on the pre-market action as a way to get out of a trade because the pre-market is very unreliable relative to what the market overall on the day does. Yes, it gives you some guidance going into the open, but ultimately, like what we've seen over the last two days, and again, for those who might be listening to this in the future and going back and listening to the old episodes like a lot of you guys have done, we're talking about mid-July here, July, the price action from July 13th and July 14th. The last two days, the market would gap down and just rally right back up, and it was frustrating. And in this particular trade, we gapped down, we rallied back up the rest of the morning. So could you have had more profits in the pre-market? For sure. But if you try to start micro-adjusting your trading strategy based off of one trade, and that's not really something I've talked about in the past, but I think it's a good term to get familiar with is micro-adjusting your trading strategy because oftentimes we make these micro-adjustments that have a big impact on how we trade going forward to where, okay, you have this QID trade here, you're up 5%. You look back on it, it's like, hey, I only came out with 1.7% on the trade. I need to start taking profits in the pre-market. But in doing so, you may miss out on the overall price action that takes place throughout the course of the day simply because you were up on the trade. And I'd also say too that what was the justification for getting out? Did you hit a price target and that your trading strategy says every time you hit a price target, you get out? Are you letting your winners run? Is that part of your trading strategy? Because that's part of mine. I let my winners run as long as possible. That doesn't mean I'm going to get out at the top. And I would say 99% of the time, I never get out at the top. Maybe 99.9%. Heck, let's just say 100% of the time, I don't get out at the top. I can't really think of a time I've ever top ticket traded. Maybe once. So just because it's up in the pre-market, and remember, pre-market is very, very different than regular trading hours. It's much more illiquid. The bid in the ask is usually a lot wider. I'm not saying that's with every stock or with every ETF. SPY usually has a pretty tight bid and ask, but not always. And not to mention, when I'm doing my charting, my charting is based off of regular trading hours, not pre-market. I mean, none of the charts that I post do I include pre-market price action. So if I don't include the pre-market price action in my charting, why would I get out of a trade based off of pre-market price action? It doesn't make sense, right? Because if I'm a technical trader, unless I'm including that in all of my charts and analysis, and then that's where your technical analysis gets messy because you get a lot of false prints in the pre-market and just some really crazy candle bars, I'm not going to base my analysis on the pre-market. So I don't trade off of the pre-market. Simple as that. And remember, I mean, I don't try to complicate my trading. I try to minimize my losses, maximize rewards. I want to lose fast and I want to win slowly. I want to be able to stay in my winning positions as long as I can. So to Bert's question, yes, I would have made more money if I would have closed out my trade in the pre-market, but my trading success on how well I do or I don't do on the year, and right now I'm doing really well on the year, doesn't come down to just one winning trade. It doesn't come down to whether or not I got the 5% in the pre-market or the 1.7% during regular trading hours. It comes down to whether or not I'm following my trading strategy on a consistent basis. And so if I would have gone out in the pre-market, that would have been more out of emotion than rather using technical analysis. And so then I'm incorporating emotion into my decision to get out. I'm micro-adjusting based on hindsight. And so now I'm taking the, what I just learned off of, okay, I could have maximized my gains by getting out in the pre-market. And now I'm going to apply that to the next trade. Now I'm really getting into a tailspin because I'm really not trading at all off of technical analysis. I'm just trading off of what would have worked the best on the previous trade. And again, I don't fault Bert for asking this at all. I've offered the trading block for about a decade now, and 
I am used to being questioned almost on every one of my trades, whether they're for good or for bad. And that's fine. But the thing is, is that I have a firm understanding of my approach to trading about why I do what I do. So when I do get questioned, I have no problem answering. The other thing I would talk about too is expectations versus reality. I think that this QID, it was a real special trade in the sense that there was a lot to take from it. There was a lot to talk about. When the CPI report came out and futures immediately tanked, I was up about five or 6% on the QID trade. My expectations for the day went through the roof. I'm like, oh crap, we're going into <laughs> the day where the NASDAQ down two or 3%. We Maybe we limit down. I don't know. I mean, it was a horrific CPI report. We're talking about 100 basis point rate hikes. Yeah. It felt like maybe the bottom would completely fall out of the market. Lo and behold, the market rallies off of those lows and it does so significantly. Did it two days in a row, in fact. Who knows? Maybe it will do it a third day. <laughs> I don't know yet because when I'm recording it, I don't know what the next day's price action is yet. But my expectations was that, yeah, we're going to keep on pushing lower. But the reality was is that it actually rallied off of the lows. So where a lot of traders get themselves into trouble is that when those expectations are not being met by the market, they dig their heels in, they bare knuckle it, and all of a sudden they're staying in a trade that they should have gotten out of a long time ago. And that's not good because then all of a sudden you're putting your expectations upon the reality that the market's trying to give you. And the market could care less about what you expected or what you hoped for or what you needed or what you wanted from the market. It's going to give you what it wants to give you. And you, nor I, nor anybody else has any say in that. Maybe Jerome Powell has a say in it. I mean, he seems to have the market by the balls these days, right? Whether it's for better or for worse. But when these people say stuff, they create an immediate reaction in the market. But unless you're a Fed governor or the chairman of the Fed, the market doesn't care about us, okay? So we have to make sure that we're not putting our expectations, our desires, and our dreams upon the market. We got to follow the market. We got to follow its lead. And so on this particular day with QID, where I was up 5% and then it starts to pull back and then I have a two-thirds of a position left and I'm only up 1% on the day, I have a choice here. I can follow the market's lead and say, hey, we're closing the gaps. We're pushing higher. It's time to get out. Let's make sure we walk away with a profit. Or I can dig my heels in and say, you know what? This isn't fair. I expected more. We've got to be getting more from it. And then when I start to say that, when I start to think that, the market doesn't care if I think that. It doesn't have any obligation to honor what I want it to. And it does what it wants. And then I ignore my stop loss. And then all of a sudden, I am just sitting at massive losses that could have been prevented. So we have to make sure we're not putting our expectations upon the market. And I would also tell you this, and this should be more of an encouragement than anything. It sounds kind of depressing, but it really isn't. Rarely do I exit out of a trade the way that I want to. Yes, I have the plan in place. I have the stop losses. If the trade starts to reverse, even if I'm up 20 or 30% on the trade, I still have boundaries that I'm not willing to let the stock cross. So if I end up getting stopped out and I'm up 30% on the trade, I would have still liked to have stayed in it longer if I could. So usually, or almost in every case, you'll always be somewhat disappointed with how you exited the trade. But that doesn't preclude you from being disciplined in how you exit the trade. You have to stay disciplined even if you're disappointed in the outcome. But one thing that will not disappoint you is swingtradingthestockmarket.com. There you're going to get all of my stock market research each and every day. Check this stuff out. And in the process, you're going to be supporting the podcast. There's going to be a lot of good information. You're going to be getting updates on the indices, the FANG stocks or MANG stocks. I don't know what you call it now with Facebook changing their name to Meta. And then you're going to be getting my daily 
lists of setups that I'm following, plus my weekly watch list, both bullish and bearish. So check it out. You're going to get a lot of intriguing charts as well. Check it out, swingtradingthestockmarket.com. I don't think you'll be disappointed. So it's going to help you cut down on the time you spend researching stocks because I'm going to be doing a lot of that for you. So check it out, swingtradingthestockmarket.com. You're supporting the podcast. And let me know what kind of questions you have for this podcast by continuing to send me your questions. Ryan at SharePointer.com. I do read them all, and I categorize them, and I try to get to every single one of these things. So they really mean a lot to me. They keep the podcast going, honestly. And leave me a five-star review, man. I can't tell you enough how much those things mean to me, how much they help me. I love those things. So keep sending those five-star reviews to whatever podcast that you're listening on, whether it be Apple. They all have mechanisms for you to leave reviews on this podcast. That means the world to me. Thank you, guys, and God bless. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the SharePlanner Trading Block, where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world. With your membership, you will get a seven-day trial and access to my trading room, including alerts via text, email, and WhatsApp. So go ahead, sign up by going to shareplanner.com slash trading block. That's www.shareplanner.com slash trading block. And follow me on SharePlanner's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I provide unique market and trading information every day. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at brian at shareplanner.com. All the best to you, and I look forward to trading with you soon.